Well, good morning, church. I really, like Stephen, uh, really wish that we could be together this week, uh, but I'm also thankful for this ability that we have to gather together in spirit, to gather together in truth, and to focus on God's Word together, and especially uh, during this time to focus on Philippians, this message of finding joy in an anxious world. And I want to begin this morning by stating something that's pretty obvious. There's only one thing that matters most in this life. And many of us know what that one thing is. And yet very few of us are able to consistently keep that one thing the most important thing. And brothers and sisters, it's holding us back more than we often realize. This struggle for us to keep our our priorities straight is something that ends up making it impossible for us to consistently experience the the joy-filled life that God wants us to get to live day in and day out. And this struggle with keeping priorities straight, it's it's nothing new. You know, the the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago saw the Philippian believers having that same struggle, and he knew that They needed to recognize it. They needed to do something about it. He he could tell that they were fighting to faithfully focus. He he could see that they were were drowning in all kinds of different distractions. They had all kinds of competing causes and concerns that they were focusing on, and it was causing them to lose the proper perspective that Jesus had died to give them. He could tell that, that they weren't actually living out what they claimed to care about more than anything else. And my guess is that when the Apostle Paul realized this was happening to his, his friends living in this Roman colony of Philippi, it's, it's not like he, he wanted to have to talk about it. It's, it's not like he, he wanted to bring it up. It's just that, that he cared too much for them to ignore it. And we all know that struggle when we see something going on in someone's life and they're, they're not experiencing the kind of life we want for them to get to experience. We, we realize we're going to have to say something. We realize that, that we're going to have to do something about it. Paul's in that place. And it's actually because of his love and his concern for the Philippians that he, he knows he has to, to deal with it directly. He has to deal with it head on. My guess is he, he wished he could talk about anything else. But this is what he's going to have to talk about. This is what he's going to have to bring up because there's too much at stake. Not only for the Philippians who aren't really experiencing the kind of life he wants them to experience, but but they are trying to bear witness to the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ through their way of life that they share together. And Paul is concerned that they're going to, to damage their witness to all the people around them if they're not able to reset if they're not able to recenter their lives around what they know, or what at least they should know, matters most. And there's something important that we learn from Paul here, or at least I should say there's something that, that I learned from Paul here, and that is that, that when we're going to have a hard conversation with someone we love, when we're going to have a challenging conversation with people that we care about deeply, 
He, he doesn't start out by calling them out. He, he starts out by reminding them of just how much they mean to him. Right, we, last week, when we opened up Paul's letter to the Philippians, when we read the first 11 verses, we, we saw a master class in how someone who's getting ready to say something that he knows is going to be difficult for, for these people to hear, where you begin. You start out by reminding them, by re-emphasizing this fact that they love one another, that they care for one another. If you remember what we read last week, you're, you'll remember that Paul starts out by, by talking about just how thankful he is for this friendship, for this partnership in the gospel they share. He, he talks about how how much he's been blessed by that relationship, how much he's been blessed by how God has, has drawn them together. He, he talks about how, how he wants to use his words to, to communicate his authentic affection and his honest hope, not just in the relationship they share, but in the kinds of people he believes the Philippians are becoming more and more day by day because of Jesus. He, he tells them that he prays for them. And he does more than that. He doesn't just talk about praying for them, but he, he talks about the fact that, that his prayers are about asking God to be there for them to be present in their lives in a world where, where it's easy for us to feel alone. He prays for God's presence to be made known to them. He, he prays for God's generous guidance to be there, leading them through a world that's filled with anxiety and uncertainty. And he reminds them above all of this that, that God began this good work in them. When they first came to Christ, it's this transforming work, and it's far from over yet, and they are becoming more and more every single day who God says they can be. And, and none of this is exaggeration for the sake of manipulation. The Apostle Paul believes every single word he's saying here with every piece of his heart. That's what we focused on last week as we looked at those first 11 verses of Philippians. This is what Paul is wanting them to know before he brings up anything else to them. This is the foundation of what he's going to say, everything that's going to follow. And this morning, we're going to look at what he does next. And again, I feel like we need to pay attention to how Paul is handling this because all of us at one time or another are going to find ourselves in a situation where we've got to say something and it's not going to be easy, but we love another person too much not to bring it up. He starts out with warmth and encouragement and this morning we're going to find that the very next thing he does is he, he shares his own story. He, he talks about what he's really feeling and thinking. As he's, he's stuck in prison, he has no clear way out. He, he doesn't know what's going to happen next. He's, he's concerned about it. And he's open. He's vulnerable. He talks about all of this directly with the Philippians. He wants them to know where he is. And I think he's doing that because he's... he's He's wanting to have the sense of, okay, if, if he opens up and talks about where he is, then later he's going to try to ask them to consider where they are. And if they're still with them at that point, he's going to say, okay, well, here's where I am, and here's maybe where you are, and here's the distance. Here's the difference between the two. So step one is to remind them of, of the depth and the strength of the relationship they share in Jesus. Step two is 
to practice openness and vulnerability with fellow followers of Jesus. If you want to make it really basic, step one was all about their shared connection. Step two is all about Paul's confession. He wants them to know where he stands, what's really going on when he's in the midst of a situation that anybody would be struggling with. So we're going to read that confession together now in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Paul says, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way bring shame upon myself, but will have sufficient courage So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. You know, there are times when, when someone will open up and confess to me what they're really thinking, how they're really feeling, and I'm drawn in. Right? I, I find myself feeling like they're saying exactly what I would say. That, that their experience is exactly something I have experienced before. Or maybe I'm even experiencing in that moment. And, and in those times of confession, I, I find that I'm reminded that, that often what is most personal is also universal. Right? That, that we're different. There's no doubt. But But at some deeper level, we know our differences, they don't matter nearly as much as the things that hold us together, the things that make us the same. You know, I I have experiences at times, conversations with people where I'm I'm given a deeper sense of of confidence in the fact that that no matter where you are or where you're from or what you've gone through, that that all of us at some level share the same hopes and the, the same dreams and the same fears and the same anxieties, we, we understand each other. And in those kinds of, of confessional moments, I find that I'm comforted. You know, there are other times, however, when, when someone starts to open up and talk about how they're feeling or what they're thinking, and, and I don't relate. I don't feel drawn in. I struggle to understand. And and there are even times, if, if I'm going to be just totally honest with you, that, that someone's opening up to me and talking about their perspective or, 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 or their take on a situation or what's going on in their life, and I, and I actually am thankful, I'm relieved that I'm not seeing the world or seeing their situation exactly the way they are because it's, it's too dark. It seems like there's very little hope and very little light. And yet, on the other hand, there are also times when I listen to someone confess and I don't relate to what they're talking about. I realize there's this difference. There's this distance between me, my thoughts, my feelings, and their thoughts and their feelings. And I find this, this longing to be more like them. That maybe, maybe 
they're able to see hope where I can't see hope, that they're able to see light where I can't see light. And I, I find myself wishing that I could be more like them than I already am. And then those kinds of experiences where confessions are being shared, I, I don't find comfort as much as I find challenge. I say all that because Paul's confession in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26, that confession, it, it makes me feel both comforted and challenged at the same exact time. You know, on the one hand, I find that, that when Paul talks about how he's feeling when he's stuck in prison and he's not sure about the future, and I think back to times I have felt stuck and trapped and I'm not sure about what's going to happen next. When I, I hear him talk about those feelings, I feel understood. I feel less alone. But on the other hand, I, I listen to Paul talk about his perspective and, and what, what kind of confidence he has in Christ, the kind of confidence he has in his relationship with the Philippians. And I find that if I'm really honest with myself, as honest as Paul is trying to be with us, that I have a lot more spiritual growing up left to do. Let, let's talk first about verses 18 through 20, because I think that Paul, in, in that section of what we read, Paul is really speaking to things that, that I think most of us relate to. I mean, I think every, every single one of us, in one way or another, we have found ourselves at times and places where we feel paralyzed, we feel trapped, we we. We don't like what's going on. We don't like what, what's happening in our lives, and yet we don't know how to fix it. We don't know what to do to change it. In fact, maybe we come to the place where we realize there's nothing we could do on our own to improve our situation. It's dark. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. We're, we're anxious. We're, we're not sure. And, and Paul talks about that, and his way of dealing with it is to say, you know what, I need to be able to find joy in the midst of this. I need to be able to find some kind of trust, something to rely on. And he says that the joy that he has in this is, it comes from knowing that God is with him in that situation. He's in prison. Um, and that the Philippians are, are joining him in praying about the situation. They are joining him in praying for God to not only be present, but to deliver him. To not just be there for him, but to change the situation for him. And Paul says, I, I find joy in knowing, in knowing that we're praying together. That, that we're, we're having this partnership even now. And, and because he knows they're praying with him, alongside of him, he, he, I think it's not just a trust that belongs to him. It's a trust in God. It's a faith in God that's coming to the forefront because of the fact that he has this church community holding him up. That together they're praying to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That together they are praying for Paul to the one combined power that truly has the ability to deliver him. I think all of us can relate to being in a dark, frustrating, disappointing situation and knowing that we need to still find and experience joy, knowing that that joy is going to come from being supported by other people and that we're ultimately going to be able to have trust because we're not the only one praying. We're not the only one believing that God can and will save and rescue us. But connected to that trust and, and that need for joy is something else I think we can relate to that Paul talks about, and that is this need for courage. 
You know, Paul says, I'm, I'm in this situation. I don't know what it's going to ask of me, but I have this eager expectation and, and I have this hope that I will be able to stand firm, that I will find the courage to honor my commitment to Jesus, to living in the way of Jesus. Paul has this sense that no matter where he is, he's on display. People are watching him. They're witnessing his way of life. And he doesn't want to do anything, even in in chains, even in prison. He doesn't want to do anything that dishonors his commitment to the way of Jesus. And so he tells them that because he, he needs them to keep praying for him. Not only to experience joy in the midst of it, not only to have trust, but to be able to have that courage. And all of us, brothers and sisters, when when we get into situations where we are tempted to sacrifice our characters, when when we get to a place where we're not sure if we're going to be able to keep our commitment, our promises, and we want to keep our commitments and our promises to everyone, especially as Christians, we want to be able to keep our commitments to Christ, to God, to the Holy Spirit, just like Paul, we know we need courage to do that. You know, what, what good is it if, if we're only able to act like Jesus when everything's going exactly the way we want it to go? We, we want to be able to let the self-sacrificial way of Jesus shape our lives, shape every decision we make, every action we take. And in order for that to happen, we're going to have to be brave. We're going to have to be willing to do that regardless of the outcome because just like Paul, we need to remember that our lives are always on display, that, that someone is always watching. And what are we teaching the people who are watching us as we bear up under difficult circumstances, as, as, we, as we try to keep trusting, as we try to find light in the midst of the darkness? What kind of example are, are we displaying? What, what kind of example are we showing? You know, I think what Paul's trying to get at is this fact that that sometimes we forget it, but the reality is when we can't hold on to anything else, we can always hold on to Jesus' shining example of self-giving love. And the fact that, that when people follow in the footsteps of Jesus, when everyday ordinary people follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it's not just we who get to experience grace and salvation and goodness, but it's all the people who are watching. Now, I think we relate to all of that. At least, I I, I feel like at various times in my life, I I relate to needing joy and trust and courage. But it's right around verse 21 here where Paul's confession, it, it becomes less relatable and more aspirational. I guess I would say it's less who I already am today and it becomes more someone I wish I... I'm going to one day be. For me to live is Christ, Paul says, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, Paul says. Not for me to live is work. For me to live is security. Uh, For me to live is family. For me uh, to live is beating the competition. For me to live is being able to afford anything I might want. Uh, It's not for me to live is only doing what I want. You get the picture. 
Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Now, I, I am convinced that Paul would be the first to admit that Christ is the one in all of our other pursuits and all of our other relationships that helps guide us and lead us in those, those opportunities and in those relationships. Paul would be the first one to say, look, Christ is the one who calls you when you work to work with integrity. Christ is the one who calls you to be faithfully present to your family. Christ is the one who, who asks you to not give in to a spirit of competition, but instead collaboration to find your place on a team. Christ is the one who wants you to, to not only experience some sense of security yourself, but to help other people experience that security. Christ is the one who, who calls you to, to not just have no money, but with the money that you do have, Christ asks you to be intentional with it so that you're not just blessing yourself, but you're blessing other people. Christ wants you to find a way to, to constructively use your voice to help bless this world. The list goes on and on. Paul would be the first one to say, look, it's not an either-or proposition, but it is a matter of degree. It is a matter of focus. Paul wants us to know that when it comes to whatever we're doing in our life, there's always one person and one person only that we should be doing everything we do for. It's not me. It's, it's not the person I, ha I might happen to be married to. It's, it's not uh, even people that I have in my home, people that, that I might consider someone I'm responsible for. No, it's Christ. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Paul wants us to know that real life is a life that is lived with Christ at the center and nothing else. Christ at the center and nothing else. Everything ripples out from there. You know, I, I look at this entire statement that Paul says, and that first phrase is really direct and stark. For me to live is Christ. But then he moves on to something that's just as difficult and just as stark when he, he starts to reference death. And there's a reason he's talking about death. He's in prison and he doesn't know exactly how everything's going to turn out. And there's a very good chance that death is in his near future. Now, I want to be clear about this. The Apostle Paul believes 100%. He's absolutely certain that God, because of God's love for him, because of, because of the, his prayers, the Philippians' prayers, Paul is absolutely certain that he's going to be delivered from the situation he's in, that he's going to be delivered from prison. But what Paul is also aware of, and he understands that the Philippians may not be quite as aware, he's aware that the form that deliverance might take could be a state-sponsored execution. And while no one, including Paul, wants to have to suffer through something like that, he also knows that that death, being delivered through death, would give him a closer encounter with Christ than he could ever have here. The gain that Paul is talking about when he says to live is Christ and to die is gain, it's, it's not separate from Christ, right? The gain that Paul is talking about here, it's not some eternal reward in addition to Christ. No, the, the gain that Paul is talking about is Christ. Full stop. So another way to interpret this, this set of thoughts that he's trying to declare when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, is that for me to live is Christ and for me to die is Christ. It's just that he understands and he knows 
that if he's delivered from prison through death, what that means is he's going to get to experience Christ more fully than he he ever could here. That it's going to be Jesus forever closer than he's ever been before. So for Paul, in his life on earth, it's all about Christ. And as he considers his life after death, it's all about Christ. The only difference for Paul is where he happens to be and who might still be around for him to serve, to to help in Jesus' name. And, And because Paul is fully aware of all the help that still needs to be done, because he's he, he has a real sense of the fact that he has been called specifically to help support the, the believers in this church in Philippi, that he's able to serve in a very specific way that they desperately need. Paul says that he's convinced that while he wants to go, it's not yet time for him to go and experience Jesus in a whole new way. He makes it clear that he wants to go for himself but he wants to be able to stay so that he can serve them. And then he does something that I find to be incredibly convicting. He says we're not just slaves to our desires, right? We don't just have to follow whatever it is we want. We get to choose what we want, or at least we get to choose what we want more. And so he admits You know, if it was just me, if this was just about my preference, I'd go to be with the Lord. But it's not just about what I want for me. It's about what I believe God wants more. And what God wants more is for me to be here for you, to help you, to support you, to serve you. Paul knows that God wants him to choose the Philippians over himself. It's, it's what Jesus would do. In fact, it's what Jesus did do for every single one of us. Jesus chose us over himself. Jesus chose us over his needs. Jesus chose us over his desires. Jesus chose our lives over his life. And he calls us to make the same choice over and over again for the people in our lives who need it the most. You know, one of the things that's interesting when you read this passage is it's like Paul's talking like he's in charge of his own prison sentence. He says, I don't know which one I'm going to choose. And while it's true that Paul isn't calling the shots while he's in prison, right? Why ultimately, the form of his deliverance, the way he's going to be set free, it's not really up to him. It's not his decision. It's not his choice. He knows that. But I think he talks this way because he wants the Philippians to know, he wants us to know that that while he can't choose what's going to happen, he can choose what he's going to do with the life he has left on this earth. And it's not enough for him to stop with the statement, for me to live as Christ and not explain it. See, because you could think what that means is all that Paul really wants is to experience or encounter Christ for himself, but that's not the case. That's that's only half the story. What Paul really wants more than anything else is for his life, the key pursuit of his life, the key passion of his life, he wants to experience Christ in a way that transforms him so that he can help everyone else have that same experience of Christ. When he says for me to live is Christ, he's saying for me to live is Christ 
for me and it's Christ for you. He wants other people to get to to encounter Jesus through him. Brothers and sisters, there's only one thing that matters most in this life. And we know what that one thing is. It's just that it's so difficult so often for us to keep that one thing as the most important thing. And it's holding us back. It's holding us back more than we realize. We have a choice to make every single day. Paul wants us to understand, even if we've made that choice before, because the Philippian church had made this choice before, and yet they were distracted. They had lost their focus. They had lost their perspective. They had their, their, their priorities all out of order. And he says to them, look, I know you've made this choice before, but you need to make it again. And he's saying that same thing to us this morning. So brothers and sisters, I'm asking, I'm begging, whatever choice you've made before, Yesterday and the day before that and the day before that. Today, let's choose Christ. Let's choose to chase after Christ more than we chase after anything else in this world. And let's, like Paul, choose to share Christ with all the people that he's given to us in our lives to love and to serve. I'm telling you, it's our struggle to keep our priorities straight. It's our struggle to keep Christ at the center of our life, day in and day out, that causes us to not get to experience the joy that Jesus wants for us. And here's the thing about joy. If you arrange your life where you're just chasing after it, you're never going to find it. But if you chase after Jesus, joy will follow so let's chase after Jesus. Let's choose Christ for ourselves. Let's, let's choose to be Christ for the other people in our lives who are watching us. Our lives are on display. People are witnessing who we are, what we value, what matters most. Jesus has to be who matters most to us. Jesus has to be what matters most to us. And we have to make that choice over and over again. I'm going to ask Dan to, to lead us in a song together in a moment, but I'm asking you this week, look at your life. Look at what truly matters most to you. And if it's not Jesus, pray for God to help you reset, to recenter, so that you can echo the Apostle Paul before us. You can say with your whole life that for me to live is Jesus. And for me to die is Jesus. Jesus is the beginning and the end, and he's everything in between. Choose Christ. Let's sing together now.